So I'm breaking one of my uh, main preaching rules, which is no shorts allowed when you're preaching. I just, it's one of those things, you wouldn't think that I'd have a wardrobe requirement for preaching, but I, I don't like it when people wear shorts when they're preaching. But I've got, I'm pulling double duty this morning because my boy Jude, he's one of my three boys, we've got a daughter and three, got, three little, little monkeys, uh, he's in his championship game for his little league team in a half hour, and I'm one of the coaches for his team, so in a, after the sermon's done, I get to be Coach Randy, and I have to get to hustle over to Wauwatosa and coach that game, but before that, I get, to do, I get to do my two favorite things today, watch my boy play baseball and preach the gospel, so let's pray and uh, center ourselves before we open the scriptures. Oh, Jesus, I love the church. There's nothing that frustrates me more than the church at times. And I don't mean New Bruce City Church. I mean the Big C Church. I get frustrated by the church. I get angered by the church. I, see, I get frustrated by what I see, but then I get glimpses of what the church can be, what we just celebrated And it makes all of the work and all of the time and all of the anxiety and all of the stress, all of the, all of the prayers, all the sleepless nights, it makes it all worth it. Jesus, you died for, this, for a bride. You came to planet Earth. Humbled yourself to become a human being, revealed to us what God is like and then suffered and was executed and was resurrected and ascended so that you could have a pure and spotless bride. And so would you help us to be that Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you come and do what Jesus said you would do, which is remind us of the words of Jesus? Would you draw us into the heart of Christ? Would you form us and shape us and transform us and renew us into the likeness of Jesus and Jesus alone? Draw all the things that we've taken into ourselves that are not of you, Jesus. Draw them out like venom like poison. We want you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Now, last week as I was closing our time together, I gave you a hint of where we're going with this new sermon series that we're in this morning. And we're in this new sermon series that we're beginning today called The Word. The Word. And I told you last week that we're going to be going through the Gospel of John. Now, when I said that last week, some of you might have been like, more Jesus? More Jesus? See, because we've, we've spent this last year, literally from, I think, almost exactly a year ago, we started looking at the Sermon on the Mount over in McKinley Park. And we spent almost six months going through the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters in the book of Matthew. And then we spent the last six months after that 
looking at the books of Matthew and Luke, thinking through the parables of Jesus, and it's been magical. And some of you might have had the thought, we're going through another gospel, more Jesus. Usually I'm used to going from the New Testament to the Old Testament to an epistle to a prophet, dabbling in the gospels a little bit. But see, I feel like we need more Jesus. See, as I, I was talking, I was praying about the church and thanking God for the church, but as I look at the American church right now in this moment, I think the American church is in a crisis moment. In the last almost three years, since we've had this global pandemic happening, we've seen the church kind of lose its foundation and center, I want to say. And when I say church, I mean the American church. And I think we've replaced our foundation and center and true north with a number of things. Let's think about what might, what the church, the American church in the last couple of years, think with me. What has been the center, the foundation of the church in, in many ways? Let's, I'm going to be bold and just say, go ahead and say things out loud. What, what has the American church centered itself around in these last couple of years? Politics. politics. I had a number of people say politics. Say that again. Nationalism. America first. What was that? Antagonism, what? Yep, yep, antagonism against the world, a culture war, Janan would say. I would say yes to all these things. I'm very proud of you. Because these are the exact things I had in my notes. The American church, we've, we've lost our minds and think that, that politics is our foundation. In the American church, these last several years in particular, not just politics, but politicians, what a certain politician says we take as gospel. On both sides. I was in a moment, Scott. All right, there we go. Thank you so much, Scott. <laughs> if a certain politician says this is what Christianity should look like, we believe him. Or we, we believe, we, we, we've made the American church in many cases and in many places, in many spaces around celebrity pastors. I'll bet you've got one that's one of your favorites, Right? I'll bet he wears, he doesn't wear three-year-old shoes, he probably wears $1,000 sneakers. There's a bunch of them. We center ourselves around our denomination or, or network, or we center ourselves around our way of gathering. I know people who love and are passionate about uh, uh, home churches, and this is the only way that the church is embodied, and we, we kind of, that's our foundation and our center. Or mega churches, the bigger, the better, Right? 
or we center ourselves around certain doctrines or beliefs. We center ourselves around our, our, our belief around sexual ethics. I've had many conversations with people who've left the church because we don't fit their certain ideology. And so if I had the power to do this, friends, if I had a nuclear button, not to blow things up, but to say if I, pre- I would press this button and make every single church in America center around the Gospels right now, center around Jesus, I would push that button. Because we've lost our way. We've become de-centered as a people. And it's time we sit at the feet of Jesus for a long, long time and remember that Jesus is our foundation and Jesus alone. Can somebody please say amen? So I don't have that button though. I can't do that. But I can do that here with the elders' approval. And so we are going to spend, starting last year, a couple of years just sitting at the feet of Jesus. See, because I love the scriptures and I love the Apostle Paul. I surely do. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's not our foundation. I love Peter and whoever wrote the book of Hebrews... I'll debate with you who who that is later. I love them. But Peter is not our foundation. Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, man, thank you, Jesus, for them. But they are not our foundation. See, Jesus and Jesus alone is our foundation. And I think it's time. We just had this prolonged time of sitting at Jesus' feet. So I'm not done with Jesus. I'm not done preaching about Jesus. I'm not done preaching through the Gospels. I want more. I want to set our foundation and be really clear about who we are and what, who we're about. If you're wondering, if you're new to Bruce City Church, there's all sorts of things. We're casual. We meet in a beautiful building. It gets a little sticky in the summertime. We're a little bit casual. We've got a, there's all sorts of things that make us who we are. But just know the biggest and best thing, the only thing that matters about who we are as Bruce City Church is that we are trying to embody Jesus. And if we get off track, tell us. So we're going to be in this Gospel of John, this masterpiece by this guy who called himself the beloved disciple. And the beginning of the book of John that we're thinking about today that we're going to start thinking about. You can't do the beginning of John in one little sermon. But does anybody know the, what the, and no elders allowed to answer, does anybody know what the first 18 verses of, of the book of John is referred to by theologians and scholars? Yes, Zachary. John's prologue. John's prologue, these 18 verses that we're going to be Begin to dive into this morning. 
These 18 little verses, I think, are the greatest theological writing that the world has ever known. These 18 verses, to me, are, are to me, evidence that the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit because there is no way that a human being could, be, could have this knowledge in and of themselves of who Jesus is. It's pure inspiration, it's poetry, it's, it's, it's theology, all wrapped up in this little 18-verse prologue that was a reflection. So scholars believe that John set about to write his gospel and probably was the last gospel written. And John wrote this gospel for his community, for this Johannine community, this church of, of former Jews who were probably kicked out of their religious worlds because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And so John set about to write his accounts of Jesus of Nazareth, of this life of Jesus. And so he's writing and he's talking about his, the things that he witnessed and saw and partook in or, or maybe heard about. And as he wrote this account of the gospel and he's, he's, he's taking in the wonder of who Jesus was and is to him. Remembering Jesus putting his hand on lepers or lame or people or people who, who, who couldn't see and he immediately healed them. Or this John who witnessed Jesus go to this tomb where this dead guy was laying and he spoke and this man came back to life. This John who witnessed and heard about these intimate conversations like a rooftop conversation with this religious leader named Nicodemus or this scandalous woman, a Samaritan woman by a well as John was processing and writing this and, and taking it all in, scholars think that after it was all written, he wrote his prologue. This prologue, this introduction to the Gospel of John is a, is a, is a, is a product, a byproduct of John taking in who Jesus is and then saying, I need to tell them right from the beginning who this Jesus is. See, the early church, that was the biggest question of the early church. Who was this Jesus, right? Like this, this Jewish guy who is a rabbi and then he's doing all these miraculous works, making all these audacious, even blasphemous claims, and then he dies and our souls are ripped from us. But then we see him come back to life and in about a month or a month and a half, he ascends into heaven. We watched it happen and now he's gone. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon these this, this group of people and they're, they're doing these things that Jesus did. But the, the whole conversation in the first couple hundred years of the church is literally who in the world is Jesus? See, some believe that Jesus was kind of an aberration. That like he was here and did crazy things and now he's gone. So he must have been a ghost. Kind of like a from heaven but not human at all. Others believed Jesus, was, I, I, I touched the dude, like literally, I, I, I embraced him, I felt him, I know he was a human being, so of course he was a human being, but God? Let's not be blasphemous and heretical. No human being could be divine. And then there were these people who were putting all of Jesus' words together and listening to the testimony of the Holy Spirit and saying, 
it seems like Jesus was fully God and fully man, the divine embodied here on earth, the Messiah. So we're going back in time, listening to these words of the Apostle John and of the Apostles who were processing who Jesus was, and we get this beautiful, beautiful introduction, the prologue to John's gospel, and we're just going to read the first three, three verses of it this morning. This is John 1.1. 1, 1. See, when you would begin... When you would begin a biography in the Greco-Roman world, in the ancient Greco-Roman world, you often would begin with a genealogy telling who was, it was usually a person of noble birth or of royalty. And so you would say, you would cite their genealogy to show this is a really important person. Or sometimes you would do that and or you would talk about some noble, some, some major proclamations that have been made about this person, about why they're going to be really important. And so as I say that, some of you are probably connecting the dots and thinking, oh, the book of Matthew begins with a genealogy going all the way back to the, to the person of Abraham, the founder of this tradition and faith. Very normal for a Greco-Roman biography. And then if you think back to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, what is that full of? Proclamations about who this Jesus is going to be, right? You see the family of Jesus, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, Joseph, but then there's these proclamations from no less than angels about who this Jesus is going to be. Very normal in Greco Roman biogra biographical works. And John does the same thing, but in a different, more profound kind of way. John says this In the beginning, was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through this Word, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In the beginning, was the Word. Now what John's doing here by calling Jesus the Word is really fun. See, John is borrowing concepts and using this word, the Greek word is logos, the divine logos, the Word of God. John's borrowing concepts from his religious and philosophical cultural world, world to try to get, bring their, their understandings into who Jesus was. And he's borrowing, the concepts he's borrowing, we'll just let's think about for a little bit to help us understand what John is saying about who Jesus is. The first thing that John's doing is he's borrowing from these religious concepts within the Jewish world. The, this logos that John talks about in the beginning was the word. It very much resembles within Hebrew scriptures this idea of divine wisdom. Divine wisdom, if you think back to the book of Proverbs, or you think back to, to the books of wisdom, you'll see in the, in, the books of, in the books of wisdom, in the Hebrew scriptures, wisdom is personified. It's a, it's a feminine uh, per person, the wisdom is, and wisdom exists before the creation of the world and assists in creation, creating the universe. Let's go back to Proverbs book, verse, or chapter 8. See if any of this language sounds familiar. Proverbs 8, I wisdom dwell together with prudence. 
I possess knowledge and discretion. The Lord brought me, this is wisdom speaking, the Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains in the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was constantly at his side." I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now then, my children, listen to me, and blessed are those who keep my ways, this wisdom. Are you hearing any resemblance to this divine word, the logos that John's talking about? Let me show you in the book of Sirach, the wisdom of Sirach. This is from the, from the Apocrypha. It's in our Catholic brothers and sisters. It's in their Bible, and it's in, it was in all of our Bibles until the Reformation. But this is just another place where John was drawing from. If you could go, Eagle, it's, it's not on there. Shucks. All right, well, I don't have it in my Bible, dang it. It's this idea in the, in the wisdom of Sirach of this, this personified person of wi- who is wisdom, who was creating with God in the beginning. But see, wisdom, it says in the book of Proverbs and in Sirach, the wisdom of Sirach, wisdom had a beginning. Wisdom was created by God. Keep that in mind. Second thing that that John's hearkening to, the, the, the word is wisdom, but also the word is Torah. The two things that, pre, that existed, the Jewish people believe existed before the universe were wisdom and Torah. Torah, does anybody know what the Torah is? The first five books of the Bible, the the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah. See, the, the Hebrew scriptures were consisted of the Torah and then the writings like Judges and Ruth and Esther. They were called the writings. Then you had the prophets. You take all three of those together and you have the Hebrew scriptures. But the first and foremost among all of them is the Torah. See, good Jewish people referred to the Torah as something. And very similarly how, to how we refer to the scriptures. When you hear people like me usually, pa- pastors, talk about the scriptures, what do, what do we call it? Hmm? The word, the word of God. This is the way Jewish people would, would refer to the Torah. The Torah was the word of God. The word of God to humanity. The, word, the Torah was the five books that made the Jewish people a people. They were the five books that told of their beginning, of their history, of their biography, why they were this chosen nation, this chosen people. The Torah, some, some sects within Jew, Judaism, ancient Judaism, didn't have any of the writings or the prophets in their sacred texts. It was just the Torah. The Torah existed before all of creation and informs all of creation. And here John is saying, I know we refer to the Torah as the word of God. 
I know we refer to wisdom as the word of God who, that created all things, but see, there's one that is before the Torah. There's one that personifies who God is more than the scriptures themselves. There's one who embodies and fulfills the very scriptures that we look to. See, this is the word that some of the church needs today. We think we have the Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. We, we, we see the Scriptures as being the Word of God. See, Jesus and Jesus alone is the Word of God, friends. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was in another gospel, he was talking to the religious leaders and he says, you, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have, you have life, but the one that the Scriptures were testifying to is standing right in front of you and you don't even realize it. John is trying to tell us and his original readers, friends, his original hearers, his original audience, who this Jesus was. And when he says that, the tor- that Jesus is the word of God, he is literally making a blasphemous claim. But it was a blasphemous claim to the old covenant. But see, now we have this new covenant in Jesus. So John is, is borrowing these ideas from, from his, his contemporary religious world, using them as the, in a metaphorical way to try to demonstrate to his readers just who this Jesus is. And the third thing that he's borrowing from within their culture to try to, try to awaken their imaginations to the magnitude of who Jesus is, is he's borrowing from the, from the, from the Greek philosophical world of his day. Philo of Alexandria was a Greek philosopher who was also Jewish. And he would refer to the logos the word of God, but when he was referring to the Logos, and when other Greek philosophers, Stoics, in many cases, were referring to the Logos, they were referring to this, it was an idea that there is this, this divine guide of the universe. There is this ground of all being that undergirds the universe and is the foundation for all things. It's the divine guidance or, or the divine voice, the divine thoughts that guides all of reality. This is within Greek philosophy. And many Greek philosophers refer to this idea or this thought, this divine ground of all being, this divine guide or, or ordering of the universe as logos, as word. So John's drawing from religious metaphors and philosophical metaphors and taking them all into one and saying all of those ideas all of the smartest people we know and their guesses about how the universe came into being, what holds the universe together, what, what, how, how we have meaning, all of those ideas from all the religious circles, all the philosophical circles, all the smart people, they all meet their fulfillment in Jesus. See, Jesus, friends, what John's trying to get across in these first three verses as I was thinking about what to call this sermon series, we were thinking about it on staff. And we just had these ideas that Jesus, what's the source of life? Jesus is the DNA of the cosmos. I mean, that's a really fun thought, right? Jesus is in your DNA. He makes you you. And he's in the DNA of these stars that we get to see that were 
coming to life billions of years ago. Jesus is maybe the nucleus. That was another idea of what we call this sermon series, maybe the nucleus. See, I wasn't very good at science, but I know that you have a nucleus that in that nucleus is kind of the source of all the life that orbits around it. Jesus is the foundation of all of reality, John is telling us. The scripture writers tried their best to describe Jesus. In, in this, one of the scripture writers said, in him we live and move and have our being. Another, one, another writer of the scripture said, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. In other words, he is preeminent over all creation. He is the, the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what the invisible God looks like, you simply look to Jesus. And John said, yep, see, Jesus is the divine word of God. Jesus is, is, is God, the, all the ideas about who God is, all the, all, the, all the wondering about what is out there, is there a higher power out there, it all finds its answer in Jesus. And as we think about this, Jesus is the creator of the cosmos, we were given this gift this week. I've been waiting. I've been talking a little bit about this James Webb telescope, if you've been around here at all. And we have this profound, crazy gift, friends. We have these photos that were just taken of this crazy telescope that had to get launched into space and then in space robotically put itself together by really smart people. I think I heard something like a million miles away from Earth. And now we're seeing these images that no human being has ever seen of the cosmos. As I say that, I get chills because this, what we're talking about is scientific discovery, friends, I believe, is sacred work. When we see these reaches of the universe that we're going we're gonna to just worship our way through now, we're seeing these mind-blowing images with mind-blowing scope, and what we're seeing is this John's Word who created all things. I tweeted this week and said, the James Webb Telescope is an instrument of worship. So what we're going to do as we finish our time is not... You're not going to listen to me go on and on about trying to make a big deal out of Jesus. We're going to worship our way through these images. Worshiping this one, the word who was in the beginning, who was with God and who was God and who created all things. Nothing that was made was made without this word of God, this Jesus. So we're going to take in these images a little bit and we're going to sing back and forth kind of a liturgical fashion. Let me get ready for this for a second. And I want you to just get into a worshipful posture, friends. If you're sitting there, resettle yourself if you need to. If you want to, open your hands. If you want to, you can look at the photos, but you can also then close your eyes. You can do 
whatever feels best, but let's just take in some of this. You are looking at what's called Carina Nebula. This landscape of mountains and valleys speckled with glittering stars is actually the edge of a nearby young star-forming region. image reveals for the first time previously invisible areas of starbirth. These are called cosmic cliffs. These cosmic cliffs are in reality the edge of giant gaseous activity. And the tallest peaks in this image are about seven light years high. Now, seven light years high. Do you know how long a light year is? How big a light year is? It's six trillion miles. These peaks in this photo are 42 trillion miles high. The cavernous cavernous area has been carved from the nebula by the intense ultraviolet radiation and stellar winds from extremely massive, hot, young stars located in the center of the bubble above the area shown in this image. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Nothing was made that has been made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. God of creation there at the start before the beginning of time with no point of reference you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light and as you speak hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath the planets form if the stars were made to worship so alive I could see your heart and everything you made every burning star a signal fire of grace if creation sings your praises so alive Eagle you can go to the next photo what you're looking at is called Stephen's Quintet a visual grouping of five galaxies looking at five galaxies. Do you know what a galaxy is? 
A galaxy is a huge collection of gas, dust, and billions of stars and their solar systems. We exist in the Milky Way galaxy. We're just one planet in the Milky Way galaxy, one of eight. And right here, you're looking at five galaxies, each one with billions of stars. With untold beauty and goodness and meaning. And the reason that I know there's untold beauty and goodness and meaning existing within each of these five galaxies is because John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. God of your promises Don't speak in vain Your syllable empty your void For once you have spoken All nature and science Follow the sound of your voice Let's sing this together as you speak as you speak A hundred billion creatures catch your breath Evolving in pursuit of what you said If it all reveals your nature so alive I can see your heart and everything you say Every painted sky, a canvas of your grace. If creation still obeys you, so I. This next photo is called the Southern Ring Nebula. And I'm reading from NASA here, and you can sense these scientists' excitement. And it makes me emotional because this is human beings marveling at the creation of their God. And it says, some stars save the best for last. The dimmer star at the center of the scene has been sending out rings of gas and dust for thousands of years in all directions. And NASA's James Webb Space Telescope has revealed for the first time that this star is cloaked in dust. Two cameras aboard Webb captured the latest image of this planetary nebula, known informally as the Southern Ring Nebula, and it is approximately 2,500 light years away. Now, do you remember that a light year is six trillion miles? Is that right? Let me just make sure, fact check, it's true. One light year is six trillion miles, and this star, Southern Ring Nebula, is approximately 2,500 light years away. And I believe that this one that John was talking about 
existed before it. And this 2,500 light years away exists in and because of this divine logos, the one that John said, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Let's sing this. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. last photo is the craziest. Known as Webb's first deep field, this image of galaxy cluster is overflowing with detail. There are thousands of galaxies, including the faintest objects ever observed, have appeared in Webb's view for the first time. This slice of the universe. So, before I say this, you can see this image, and the image with image, the things in this image with spikes, those are stars. Everything in this image that doesn't have spikes coming from it is a galaxy. The Webb Telescope has taken the image of literally thousands of galaxies. And they say that this slice of the vast universe that we're looking at right here covers a patch of sky approximately the size of a grain of sand held at arm's length by me. If I were to look up at the universe, I would see and look, compare it to this grain of sand. That's how big there, that is. And there are thousands of galaxies in that grain of sand. Again, a galaxy is a huge collection of gas and dust and billions of stars and their solar systems and planets all held together by gravity. But I think this gravity has a name. And it's Jesus. One last time. Why don't you... Can you get the um, John 1, 1 through 3 eagle up on the screen for us? Let's stand and read this together. Read this with me, friends. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. 